your source for Big Ten Talk. It's Off Tackle Empire! Blockcast and Off Talkle production. And I'm here today with someone who I think shares my feeling that it's just as well that basketball season is upon us because it lets us forget about football. I, for one, am welcoming the the, what, the, the the sweet release of basketball season. And I know that today's contributor feels the same way. Joining me is MN Wildcat, our senior Northwestern Cabal member. I'm actually waiting for women's lacrosse season, but we'll, basketball's a nice holdover until that starts. This is a women's lacrosse blog. We just we indulge the basketball and football crowds <laughs> to kind of keep the lights on between women's lacrosse seasons. So, boy, hasn't I mean? I think it's a decent argument for us about whose football team has shit the bed worst relative to our expectations. Because I do think it's fair to say that despite winning the division last year, nobody actually really predicted Northwestern to be good again, which is fine. But I think most of us expected they would eventually turn it around somewhat. It, I, I, it, the only thing that I can say is like at least my coach hasn't resorted to calling something a dumbass question, but he's offering hugs and and flagrantly demon like willfully demonstrating that he doesn't understand how the internet works. So. It's just he's a wash. He's, I don't know. He's having fun with it, and that's all he can. I mean, it, part of me hopes that that really is that the whole thing is just a bit at this point because he's like, oh, well, the season's lost. I may as well just entertain myself. Clearly, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the entire discussion within the MSU fan base is now, does D'Antonio stay? Do we want him to stay? The second question is easier to answer. I don't think anybody really thinks he's going to pull this out of the ditch at this point. But anyway, as I mentioned before, the benefit of being this far into the football season is now we can stop thinking about it. So let's let's get to a much happier topic of conversation for the Northwestern fan. Let's talk about basketball. (laughs) Damn it. Uh, So as you know, we've, I've gone through a few of these previews with some of our other contributors and discussing each team. The first thing we do is kind of pitch out this. If you, if you were to boil down this program's place and feeling to a single word or phrase what would it be and the thing i came up with is what happened it's what happened it's you know it's rebuilding that's that's where northwestern is at they're trying to rebuild their identity and rebuild their uh, their roster and everything it's just you know they're at the point where it's let the youth movement take over again and, and see where it goes but what happened is really just what happened to any, you know, to any small basketball school? You miss on a couple recruits and you have a couple things that don't break the program's way and, and things fall apart all over again. It's um, unfortunately, it's something that, you know, we can say we've probably seen this movie before across across the NCAA basketball landscape. And Northwestern was not immune to it in, in 2017, 2018, 2019. Yeah, and I I think the moral of the story for Northwestern, what you can take from this is if you're a program without the historical advantages of an Indiana, Michigan State, Ohio State, whoever, and you're not if even if you have a couple of classes that look like they're going to be transformational with guys like McIntosh and Lindsey, Vic Law, Derek Parton, it's fine to get some of those guys. But if you're not rolling them in every year, it's going to be impossible to sustain anything. Um, I think we've kind of seen something similar to that with Penn State, or at least I think we're going to look back at Penn State after the season and think the same thing because they had that class that's actually seniors now. Those guys are still on the team, but Mm -hmm. 
boy, if they don't capitalize this year, it feels like they're going to be heading into an abyss. I guess we'll see. But yeah, it's it's just difficult. This is a difficult neighborhood. And um, MC Clap Your Hands and I talked about this with Rutgers, where they've had kind of this impressive upward build. But as you get towards the top of the conference, the climb gets steeper. And one misstep can easily send you sliding back a couple spots. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, again, Northwestern's always going to have some limitations. There are academic standards in place there that just don't apply to anyone they compete against in college basketball because, you know, in football, there's Notre Dame, there's Stanford, sometimes Vanderbilt, not really, that compete in the <laughs> same pool of recruits. But here, Vanderbilt's really the only one of those that has a consistently strong basketball team. So you would think they would have kind of their pick of the litter if they're able to show anything consistent. But I, I'll tell you, you know, the bright the bright side of this, of course, is that you don't really have to worry about Chris Collins being poached anytime soon. <laughs> I Well, that was the part of the discussion last year, too, is would we mind if he was poached at some point soon? Um, and it's interesting you bring up Rutgers, too, in one of those, because that's I have a lot of respect for what Steve Peichel has done. And I think one of the... I don't want to say Rutgers has an advantage over Northwestern in basketball because that feels like just lying to myself and to God. But Steve Steve Peichel's teams play defense, and they, God bless them, they cannot shoot a basketball to save their lives. But you, no. you know that when they when they turn around, they're in the defensive end. Then they're going to you know a slap the floor and you know grab you and hold you and, and knock you down kind of a defense and. It worked last year, and we saw kind of the here's what they need to do to rise. They need to have everybody, you know, from who's around and below them in the standings be be absolute dog shit. But they also can put together, you know, a defense and some sort of uh, some sort of an identity that allows them to stay in games and hell grind out the 59, 55 kinds of games of the world. Um, and that's what at Northwestern with Chris Collins in the last two years has been a little bit lacking. I think with that, with that NCAA tournament birth came kind of a, a validation of the supposedly the kind of free shooting and open moving and sometimes defensively questionable habits that some players had. And I think it really underscores how, how players like um, Sanjay Lumpkin and Vic Law and hell, even a, you know, a three and, sometimes D kind of Nathan Taphorn, how they all knew a role in this offense and in the system and would come out and play it. And in the last two years, when, when they, they've had to call on Brian McIntosh or Vic Law um, or even Derek Pardon to, to shoulder more of that load, um, when it's not five mediocre players on the floor, it's only three mediocre players and two, oh my God, what the hell are you doing on a Big Ten basketball court players? <laughs> that's when those systems break down and that's where um, you know, kind of the what happened is just that Collins missed on a couple guys. You know, Rapola Sivanovskis is no longer here. Barrett Benson never kind of panned out as that backup e second kind of center. Um, and here Northwestern sits, you know, it's the hope is that this new crop of kids that who are in are gonna, um, are gonna one be able to bring the ball up the court competently, but but two are just going to be able to get to the basket and score a little bit more. And that's, um, you know, that's just kind of that search for for an identity is something that has been now a, a one and a half to a, at least a year long, if not a one and a half year long kind of uh, kind of quest for Northwestern. And we'll see if if Collins can pull them out of this tailspin. Who knows? Maybe he shows up on some of those those coach watch lists again. But until then, no, you're right to to get back to the original question. He's he looks like he'll be in Evanston for a while. And uh, and, you know, who knows? Maybe that maybe that's a good thing in the end. 
And you, you mentioned one particular issue that was a consistent problem last year, just bringing the ball up the court capably. Um, the point guard situation was a hopeless mess last year. And I, I get, the guy's name slips my mind, but there was a guy they expected to be a contributor who at the last second was deemed ineligible or did not get into school for some reason. Am I thinking correctly? You're thinking of Jordan Lathan. Yeah, they actually, yes. so in May of 2018, they actually revoked his mission. Um, and it, Anything I think would be speculation. I've only read it on two blogs, so I can't count it as news yet. Um, it's not really worth repeating. Um, he looks like he put his foot in something. Um, he wound up at UTEP and uh, scuffled at UTEP as well as his early his early season. Um, you know, you wish the kid the best. And so what happened was um, point guard Ryan Greer wound up reclassifying. He's out of uh, out of Atlanta area and reclassified, and he was just not ready. Um, you feel he, undersized, you know, six shades of Dave Sobolewski, if you want. Um, or a foster and, lawyer comp, if you will. Uh, <laughs> speaking exactly. Of up, yeah. Um, but, right, I mean, hopefully the idea this year would be that They've got another incoming freshman in Daniel Bowie, who's a three-star guy who you can probably count on for some minutes. And you know, with um, with Greer being a year older, he'll be a he'll be able to drive this year, so he can make it to all his practices on time as a college sophomore. <laughs> um, and yeah, so that's a kind of a good opportunity to segue into a roster discussion here, because last year, I mean, what is there to say? You, you look up and down the schedule. Not a whole lot of challenge in the non-conference. Uh, I mean, maybe you point to Georgia Tech or the game against Utah as their best non-conference wins. But oh, for the month of February, um, just had the one win against an Ohio State team, which was also kind of offensively punchless last year. Mm-hmm. And I discussed this, I think, also with MC Clap Your Hands. I feel like at last season, every time I went, I had an opportunity to watch some basketball during the week, like if it's a Tuesday or Wednesday night and I'm not busy and I have a couple hours before bed, I would turn on BTN and it's some combination of this triad of Rutgers, Ohio State, and Northwestern who are all just offensively dreadful. And I feel like those three teams just played each other like seven or eight (laughs) times each for the entire month of February and into the first week of March. It was just all that was ever on. And I'm like, I know there are better and more interesting teams in this conference. How, how is this all that's ever available? But that's kind of the way it was. So, Clearly enough, year, the Cats would have gotten to five wins in the Big Ten had those been the only teams they played. And so it's, <laughs> it yeah, it was it was awful. And the schedule is similarly going to be going to be tough this year. But yeah, there were. I, I'm looking at it now, and I, God, I'm remembering some of these Wednesday consecutive Wednesdays against Rutgers and Ohio State, Nebraska, Minnesota on a Thursday. Just some truly awful basketball that was played yeah yeah and i mean it's even worse when there's these skids that spill weeks and weeks between anything going right i mean there were some close calls in here look there's a one-point road loss to a ranked iowa there's a three-point home loss to rutgers um they had a five-point loss to wisconsin it's not as though they were consistently outclassed and you know were rutgers footballing it up out there it was just Mm -hmm. Couldn't put quite and couldn't put the ball in the basket quite enough times. Um, so that being said, the problem, of course, looking from last year to this year, is the two best players from last year's team are gone. Uh, Vic Law and Derek Pardon are both off to graduation, and so I will, I'll ask you: Northwestern's best player this year is who? Oh, geez. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of the pathetic situation this this is in that. 
I mean, if you were to force me to say the most complete player, perhaps on the roster, I might tell you AJ Turner, who's a Boston college transfer, but who hasn't, who didn't start in the exhibition game. Um, it might be Pete Nance who shows the most upside, a six ten kind of stretch four kind of player. If you were to ask me to choose, I think our six ten forward Jared Jones, uh, Jared Jones could be the best player, but this is such a young and such a transitional roster that, uh, God, I mean, I'll say Pete Nance, I suppose, because you're going to see him whether you want to or not, but I, I can't tell you there's a best player on this roster right now. That's how, that's how rebuilt it is that we don't know quite who the scorer is going to be. Yeah, you, you figured to see a fair number of shots from Turner, probably a fair number from Anthony Gaines as well. But I think if this team is going to hit whatever ceiling it does have, they're going to have to get big improvement out of Nance, out of Miller Cop, who's going to be a sophomore and showed some flashes last season. And then mm-hmm. the freshman class is decent. As you mentioned, Jared Jones is a guy that looks like on paper he could at least be a front court player in this league. And Robbie Barron is another four star, not a lot of guys of that you know, pedigree on the te- on the roster, but they're going to need mostly young players to take big steps forward if they want to have a you know better showing of it than they did last year. So, to take a look at the schedule and what we expect from them, um, Providence pretty early in the season is going to be an interesting test. Although I, they really haven't been. I think they still have somewhat of a better reputation than they deserve because they had that run a few years ago um, with Chris Dunn. And since then, they haven't really been anything special. But, you know, that's still a a tournament caliber team most Mm -hmm. seasons. They will also be in the uh, Rocket Wellens tournament early in the season. Hell yeah, Fort Myers, baby. Yeah, that features another former Coach K assistant in Jeff Capel's pit team, as well as Kansas State, another former Big Ten connection there. Um, Boston College in the Big Ten ACC challenge. That's a manageable matchup, at least. And it's a road one, too. Yeah. So that'll, I mean, if you win that, that helps with your RPI a little bit. If you find yourself in a position for like IT consideration or anything. And yeah, we'll get into expectations in a sec, but I don't know if the tournament itself is really going to be in the picture this year because, well, for (laughs) one thing, these first two Big Ten games, the conference games in December, um, going to Mackey Arena and then hosting Michigan State. So that'll get you off to a nice 0 2 start. This is it's an 0-4 start for the Cats in, in conference. Unfortunately, it's you know you get the the December conference plays, which are also split up around um, finals. So they they open with Purdue on on Sunday the eighth of December, and then take everything off for a full week because they have they have uh, finals, and then they come back play SIU Edwardsville, and then they play Michigan State, and it's just the hope is that a, a weeknight, a, you know, December weeknight in Evanston is going to be just dead at Welsh Shrine. Unfortunately, it's Michigan State, and the, the arena is going to be 60 70% Michigan State fans for that. And um, That's what you get for putting your campus so close to Lincoln Park. So. <laughs> God, that's, God knows you can't swing a dead cat around Lincoln Park without hitting about five of you. Um, no, I, I remember last time I was there for that game in 2013 we met up for – it was like being in the college neighborhoods in East Lansing, except it was legal for everyone to drink. I was like, how do you people live? How do you live this way? <laughs> but you know, it's just madness. <laughs> so yeah. as you mentioned though, the O and four you reference is because once they get into big 10 play in January, kind of the main body of it, 
they start off with trips to Minnesota to Indiana. And not that those teams are likely to be overwhelming this year. I think the general consensus is middle-ish of the pack, but road games. That's going to be the difficult thing. Mm-hmm. And looking at the substance of the schedule overall, the single plays you know, it could be worse, could be better. Um, Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin, those are three teams we expect to be towards the top of the league, so you get those once each. Yeah. Single plays also with Indiana, Iowa, and Rutgers. I mean, Iowa and Rutgers are a couple of the teams that you'd like more cracks at just to pile up more opportunities at wins. But mm-hmm. you know, as we mentioned last year, there were some there were some instances when Northwestern kept it close against teams that on paper you'd think, oh, well, they're going to win this in a walkover. So, again, it, the the conference schedules have been mostly pretty balanced so far from the teams we've discussed, but it kind of depends on how they line up. And looking at this, there are a couple stretches in here. We mentioned, obviously, the first two are difficult, but starting um, January 18th, there's this stretch mm-hmm. where it's at Illinois, home against Maryland, home against Ohio State, and then the return trip to Michigan State, and then hosting Purdue between January 18th and February 1st. So it's basically a two, two-and-a-half-week stretch. That includes... Or if you get one win in there, it's a, it's probably a success. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, it's a road trip to a hated rival, and then four te- four games in a row against the what we expect to be the top of the conference. So that's early enough. I mean, that's, again, you'll have played four other games in the main body of conference play by then. I mean, if you come out of that on an 0-5 skid... There's not a whole lot. I mean, there's games down the stretch. You have two against Penn State in the tail end, the home matchup with Illinois, a trip to Nebraska. There are some opportunities in the tail end to pick up some wins, but that might be a bruising enough stretch that maybe the fight kind of goes out of the team. We'll see how that goes. So, And I think a lot of it's going to be managing. It's it, you know With with a young roster, it's how do you manage when there's wear and tear on, on players' um, Players who haven't done this before, for one, who aren't who are undersized, for two, I mean, you look at the the people we're going to trot out at center. It, the cent, effectively, the one center we're really going to run at you um, is is Ryan Young, who you will notice once you play him or see him. He is a chonky son of a gun. Um, <laughs> he, he's got kind of that little baby fat, that little baby fat double chin. This is really mean of him to say as I sit here, you know. Over, I have well found over a hot. I had a pound of Halloween candy for breakfast. So, yeah, it, this, this is a little bit of pots calling the kettle black. But, yeah, whatever. I mean, we're not, the D1, we're not the D1 athletes in this conversation. That's right. So. Yeah, we're not getting compensated for this. I'm like, wait, no, that, I did that wrong. Um, <laughs> did you, I don't know if you happen to catch. We're recording this on Saturday morning as game day is in progress. Um, the crowd at SMU included a sign saying we paid players before it was cool. <laughs> I saw that one. That's fantastic. You got to appreciate a little self-awareness. So, oh, yeah. Cool. Hell right. yeah. We've, um, we've gone over roster. We've gone over schedule. What is your best case scenario for Northwestern this year? Best case scenario, this is an NIT team. Um, you'll see, and that involves players like uh, uh, Boo Booey, Daniel Booey. You mentioned that. He goes by Boo. Um, so oh, players good. like Boo Booey. Yeah, yeah it is. Um, over he, that. he turns into a kind of a Trey Dempsey player. And, and just, you know, one who's willing to, to chuck up, you know, 14, 15 shots a game. And it, it will make six or seven or eight of them. Um, that he's willing to be a contributor right away and is able to kind of get into the lane, break people down off the dribble. Um, that Jared Jones is is an aggressive stretch four and that he's really kind of mixing it up in there. That Pete Nance takes that step. Um, and that this team, you know, threatens for the NCAA tournament. 
Um, that's a best case. And the best case, I think, would then result in them being an NIT team. Um, you know, they get out of the get out of the basement of the conference. They maybe don't have a Wednesday play. They start on Thursday. Um, and, and are sitting somewhere, you know, maybe seven, eight, nine conference wins. Um, that's a best case. And it's just, it, it's the hope that, like we said this, at the offset, that this is a uh, a class that Chris Collins hit on, that he found, you know, the right the right recruits, and whether that happens or not, you know, it's it's. I don't think it's going to be quite that optimistic in the end, but you know, I'm not going to be quite that optimistic on the whole. But um, and I think I do see this trending more towards a, a, maybe a five, six, maybe even a seven win in Big Ten Northwestern team, but it's you know it's all based on the optimism that these are young kids who are going to learn on the fly yeah and you mentioned the hope is that the recruiting pans out in a way that's consistent with what the program needs and that's if you're not pulling in top 100 players regularly that's what you have to hope for is that you've got guys on your team who either were under recruited for whatever reason or fit your system well enough that they kind of play above their pay grade, if you will. Um, and I do say pay grade uh, with some meaning there. So uh, <laughs> that being said, it, is there a disaster scenario you can see? I mean, given what they went through last year, I don't think anybody, is it fair to say that they could be that bad again? Is there a scenario where you have that kind of, you know, month and a half long losing stretch? Oh, absolutely. And it, it stems from, we don't know right now. You asked who's the best player. We don't know. And we don't know who the, who the scorer is. I mean, Anthony Gaines is a wonderful player. And I think a lot of Northwestern fans will talk very, um, very glowingly about how he is really a defensive gamer and, you know, we'll go out and kind of night in, night out. We'll, we'll give it all, but he averaged seven points a year last year. And he's for his defensive kind of wizardry. He, he's not supposed to be the scorer. Can AJ Turner take the next step? I mean, the top three scorers from last year's team, Vic Law, Derek Pardon, and, and the much maligned Ryan Taylor, are gone. Where is that production going to come from? We don't know. And if you know, if you're relying on a Pat Spencer or somebody, if you're relying on a, a Loyola lacrosse transfer, uh, you know, it's just you're not going to have a good time. Um, it, it, I can see a lot of ways in which that worst case scenario kind of comes true. Um, the hope is that they cobble together maybe a couple scores a game and it could come from, you know, a, co- a you know, a combination or combinations among five different guys. But yeah, the nights where shots aren't falling and, and young players look young and during that five game stretch where the attrition happens in the big 10 schedule. Yeah, it could get ugly and this could be a three, four win, um, a three, four win team. I think Stu mentioned, um, within our basketball talk that he can only see one or two games this entire season where Northwestern is favored. Now uh, I'm not quite that, you know, bearish on the cats and um, I can't see a world in which they, they're only favored, you know, in a, in a pair of games in the conference, but no, well, there's, I mean, there's a difference between being favored and actually winning those games. Cause it, Every season, we talk about there being blood and spiders in the Big Ten. I mean, Candy Stripes got his chuckles off of Indiana sweeping MSU last year, even though when you look at those teams on paper, there's no way that should have happened. Oh, absolutely. MSU lost in the game to Illinois as well. Like, weird stuff like that happens. You know, Wisconsin with Frank Kaminsky and Sam Decker lost to Rutgers. So there's going to be crazy upsets every year. All teams win a couple games that you look at on paper, and they probably shouldn't. So... 
No, if you were to go through one game at a time and say which of these teams is better, you might not conclude that Northwestern is better than any of the matchups they've got in the conference with a couple of exceptions. But that doesn't mean that they're only going to win one or two games. I mean, that's that is a truly rare thing for a conference team to only win one, two, three basketball games. It's just it's very unusual for that to happen. So it's like Gertzian. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So. You know, uh, sorry to have put you through the discussion of your own team, but as you mentioned, you know, women's lacrosse season is right around the corner. Right around the corner. We're almost there. I got a good palate cleanser for you, though, as we transition to our next team. Going to talk about another program. You know, it's near and dear to your heart. Illinois. Uh, <laughs> the the vibe, the summary for this team is that last year better have been worth it. Um, on the one hand, I've seen in my travels and traversings and light plagiarisms through all of the preseason projections done by other sources. There's a lot of confidence in Illinois. There's there's belief that they're most likely going to be a tournament team. They've certainly got plenty of talent. Uh, the reason, however, that I've had to Shanghai a number of other contributors into doing this podcast instead of continuing with my football partner, Thumpasaurus, is because last year beat the spirit out of him, an Illinois fan, uh, to to have belief or or active participation in the basketball team. Now that said, I think he's full of shit on that point. I'm pretty oh, sure yeah. when we get like four games in the season, if they go on a nice little heater to start, he will be he will be back waving the flag in the street. Oh, as he'll he does be talking after shit ones. with the best of them. Yep. <laughs> but uh, I, you know, that said, despite there being some real high points last year. The way they got out of the gate, it, it's very easy to see why he was so discouraged. And there, there are things about Brett Underwood that have always rubbed him the wrong way. Um, he has this habit yeah. of carrying open scholarships uh, that, on the one hand, does the last guy on scholarship ever really contribute that much? No. But mm-hmm. given the way Illinois plays, they need lots of bodies because they play this extremely high energy, you know, high-intensity defense, which also results in them committing a shit ton of fouls. So there were definitely games last year where, you know, like Bashanishvili is visibly dead on the court, but they don't have anybody else to go to because they just don't have enough bodies. So last season, they got off to a 4-12 and start, and part of that was because they had a brutal non-conference schedule, but it doomed their postseason outlook from the beginning. So look at their roster this year. They got a real boost from Io Dosunmu coming back. Um, and I think, you know, I mentioned Bashan Shvili. We'll call him Georgie because that's a mouthful. Um, you know, Brad Underwood finding him was a real benefit for them for a team that had a serious need of post players. Um, you know, and then looking at what they've got coming back this year, the backcourt is probably going to be the strength of the team again. Dosun moves a guy you could see on some All-American lists, depending on how he plays initially. They've still got other guys in Trent Frazier, Andres Feliz, Demonte Williams, who can give him some support there. What they're going to need really is for their younger guys in the front court to give Georgie more support this year. Well, and you just talked about how, you know, that's we just talked about Northwestern, a team returning almost no scoring. And you look at Illinois and you're returning your top four scorers. And and somebody like Andre Andres Feliz, I don't think, perhaps correct me if I'm wrong here, I don't think he's a starter in this lineup. Is he or is he come did he, no, did he, he start their exhibition? He typically comes off the bench. I didn't I don't know how they're gonna play the rotation this year. They're I mean, they typically go with more three guard lineups, but I think he has historically come off the bench and that would probably I would expect that's how they'll settle in once they get into the regular season. 
Um, they did start he, him in the uh, my apologies. They did start him in the in the exhibition game. So maybe he he has cracked. Okay. I guess replacing Aaron Jordan probably. I would assume. Um, it's entirely possible. Yeah, um, Jordan, as you mentioned, is the only guy who's gone. And you know, I don't think it's it's difficult to underscore how important it is to have your top four scorers back. It's mm-hmm. a very rare thing to happen in college basketball. Usually your top scorers are either your seniors or guys who are leaving early. So um, yeah. it's uncommon to have your roster line up like that. And, you know, think, for example, about Michigan State. I don't know off the top of my head, but I would guess that they probably only have one of their top four scorers back from last year uh, with having McQuaid, Goins, and Ward gone. Um, mm-hmm. I, that's probably, Maybe that's right. Maybe that's not. But it's difficult to, I mean, even with the projections that are out there about MSU and what most people expect them to do. I still kind of wonder other than Cassius Winston, who's going to score when it's, a, when, you know, we really need a basket, but yeah, anyway. Um, well, and, and so with Illinois, I mean, you, you did mention as well, uh, kind of the propensity to foul and the, and this defense that, that Brad Underwood brings, it was last year, especially in some of those, especially early season losses. I mean, you break through that kind of, not pack liney defense, but you break through that first kind of wave of, of guards just throwing themselves in passing lanes. Oh, it's a layup and, line. Yeah. And get, and get the ball inside the arc. And then, yes, they have, they have centers scrambling to hit rotations. Nobody quite knows exactly where they're, where they're supposed to be in this defense. It seems like, or maybe that's by design. And, and then Georgie Bishanishvili is swinging at people who, who dare to enter the lane. And on, what Adonis De La Rosa or whatever his name was, is, you know, is, is clearly not, quite a big 10 center and no, he was, he was definitely a patch this hole kind of thing. And he had some moments, but um, definitely just a guy who's on the roster because they need a body. Exactly. Um, it'll be interesting and, and, to see where they get some help from this year. They do have some interesting prospects coming well, in. Hell in yeah, they do. Yeah. <laughs> Kofi Cockburn and all Amer- you know, a preseason, all name team, oh, a God. seven foot guy out of Jamaica who definitely needs a little bit of physical work, but he's, too he's too gifted not to play immediately but i mean we're bearing the lead here because he's not even the captain of illinois all name team in this class benjamin bosman's verdonk out of belgium uh he's got a leg injury he's recovering from i haven't checked on that recently to know how long he's expected to be out but my god not only is he the bosman's but Verdonk, I mean, my understanding of Dutch etymology is that that means from Donk or of Donk. Of the Donk. <laughs> is that not a perfect name for a basketball player? Um, so, you know, it's been it's been quite a while since the Big Ten has had a name that fitting. I mean, you have to go back to, you know, Jake Butt as the tight end to oh, get yeah. a name that fit where name and position and sport all line up quite in the way that they do. Um, and then they, they added some additional depth up front with Jermaine Hamlin. So they've got bodies coming in that should give Georgie a little bit of a break on the front line, which is good again, because if they hadn't found a couple of these guys, I mean, Georgie's probably still playing 35 minutes most nights. Um, and then looking well, at, I'll oh, go ahead. Even some, well, even some of the, some of the reports and projections that, that we're seeing for Illinois. I mean, it, it, it seems like Illinois might be going with a too big lineup too, which is a really intriguing kind of, um, they started both Cockburn and Bashanishvili in the in the exhibition game, and uh, I mean I'm intrigued as hell to see a to see a Big Ten team roll out with with I guess they'll they'll run Bashanishvili technically as a four, but yeah, I mean basically I you're so. pl- you're playing two fives. Let's let's call it you know a spade a spade here. Um, I mean that that feels big as hell to me, like to to go out there and say yeah we're gonna 
we're going to bang you inside with two guys and you're going to get some, some of that sweet high low action. And I mean, and then you're just going to have three guards or maybe, you know, just a revolving door of, uh, of little guys, you know, Kipper Nichols has to see the court at some point, right? Um, just this revolving door of these small little guys pestering you and waving their arms and passing lanes and stuff. Who knows? Maybe this could be Brad Underwood's finest hour where they, you know, finally he gets all the players in there and we're talking like a Stephen F. Austin, you know, from whatever year that was, 2016, um, you know, a Stephen F. Austin-esque run. Um, I, 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 I guess you can see it kind of in the way that we talked about, well, I guess we in the way that, you know, Big Ten football knowers talked about Nebraska going into this year, they finished last season on such a high note. <laughs> right. <laughs> Illinois did. And that's, you know, I think that's something where whether they can maintain that, uh, maintain that momentum, you know, a la Nebraska, the uh, line will be tested this year in a similar way in, in, in basketball by a, a really early and a really tricky road test. And I, I, I'm excited to see in part because Georgie's just so damn fun to watch on the court. And I hate to admit that, but God, he is a, a player where if he's on your team, you love the shit out of him. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. But, but we'll see when they go out to, to not only Arizona, but to grand Canyon. I'm, I cannot wait to watch that game. That is going to be so much fun. Yeah. And in the span of three days, they play both of those games as well. Oh. So, uh, Stiff tests early on. Fair to say that this non-conference is overall not as challenging as last year. They do get another matchup with uh, good old Quanzo Martin at Mizzou, another guy <laughs> who um, Thumpasaurus is a huge fan of and always appreciates seeing that matchup. So uh, he'll be looking forward to that. But, you know, otherwise, looking at some of the non-cons, you know, Nichols, the Citadel, Hampton, Lindenwood, I, there, are, there are more wins here than there were last year, probably reflecting an understanding that they're going to need, they need to make the tournament this year for Brad Underwood to sustain any kind of positive momentum, you know, from the tail end of last year and from maintaining the talent he's got on this roster, they've got to have some on-court results. And I think this scheduling kind of reflects that. Um, they get Miami in the big 10 ACC challenge. I have no idea what the hurricanes are expected to be this year. Uh, they've been better recently under Larinaga, but it, it feels like there's. It feels like there's always two or three Miami transfers out there surfacing on other teams, mm-hmm. and they've kind of become a, a player in the transfer market as well. So, the first two conference games for Illinois, they go to Maryland and then they host Michigan. So that's a pretty tough combo. Not as bad as what Northwestern got with Purdue and Michigan State, but that's pretty tough. And then looking at their single plays, you know, Penn State, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Indiana, Nebraska, Minnesota. So. Ohio State, we expect to be near the top of the conference. Wisconsin, probably top half for sure, I would think. And then other than that, it's a group of teams in the middle of the pack other than Nebraska. So single plays against teams that they're probably going to be jockeying for conference position with, your Penn States, your Indianas, your Minnesotas. So... Again. And along with that, I mean, that's, you know, they do get then the other side of that is now it's a rough top of the slate. I mean, you've got Maryland, Michigan State, and Purdue on the double plays. I mean, that's that's going to be tough for Illinois. But yeah. uh, on the flip side of it, at the bottom of the conference, then you've got Iowa Rutgers and Northwestern all on the double play. I mean, that's something that Illinois should stand to exploit. That should be, I mean, that should be five wins right there. I would think if this is, if it, this is going to be a tournament team, you've got to pull five of six from that bottom, from those bottom three. And, you know, it's, then that's, this is a Big Ten tournament, or I'm sorry, a Big Ten tournament. Hopefully it's a Big Ten tournament team. Um, then this is an NCAA tournament <laughs> team. Get left out of that field, that's a rough go of it. Uh, yeah, exactly. But, but, yeah, I mean, 
And obviously the benefit of having a lot of difficult teams on the schedule is you will have opportunities to buff yeah. the resume because yeah, this isn't a team that's going to be contending for a top two NCAA tournament seed or anything. They're going to have plenty of losses this year. So if you have the opportunities to harpoon some big fish, um, looking at this schedule, there are a couple of shorter stretches that I think are going to be very interesting. So starting January 2nd, they go to Michigan State, then they host <laughs> Purdue, then they go to Wisconsin. Um, that's in the span of a week. That's January 2nd, 5th, and 8th. So welcome back to conference play. Here's how you get back into it. <laughs> and then there's, uh, there's another stretch later where after a trip to Iowa on February 2nd, which again, I don't yep. think we don't, there's not really a whole lot of expectation for Iowa as a tough team, but it can be, you know, if it's a Sunday afternoon game, the kind of thing that some teams might sleep through, then they have back-to-back home games with Maryland and Michigan State. So that's going to be, you know, getting into February. By then, you're going to have a something of an idea of what your tournament picture looks like and what kind of wins you need to get. Yep. Maybe you go into those games loose because you've done well enough that you don't have to get one or both of them. Maybe there's a lot of pressure because you've stumbled along the way. Again, we've, other than that three-game stretch we mentioned, they do have their other game at Purdue as well as at Michigan at the tail end back of Michigan. Yep. So there are some losses on this schedule, if things don't break well for Illinois, they could go into those two home games, Maryland and Michigan State, needing to get both of them to ensure that they're safe in the tournament. So that could be a very high-pressure moment for Illinois there. Well, and it kicks off an interesting run for them as well because you look right past those, then, that Maryland and Michigan State, and that run-in that the that the Illini have is, I'll read it off quick, is at Rutgers, at Penn State, home against Nebraska, at Northwestern, home against Indiana, away to Ohio State, and home against Iowa. Even just that four-game of Rutgers, Penn State, Nebraska, Northwestern, if you're looking at a desperate Illinois team at that point... Got to be um, wins. Gotta be, it's got to be four wins there. And, and out of that last seven, I mean, you'll have resume builders with Indiana and Ohio State if you can steal you know, one or both of those. But you've probably got to go five and two on that run-in. And at that point... It, We'll probably know after the Maryland or the Michigan State. Is it is it even going to be enough? Will it matter for Illinois? And um, you know, I I am inclined to think that it's a bubble team, but yes, that they probably are on the right side of it. But boy, can they can they build enough momentum at the end of that schedule that they can really solidify their place? I mean, you'll boy, we'll we'll find out from Steve. I'm sure at that point too whether or not <laughs> right. this is a yeah, whether he's returning our calls or not at that point, I think will be an indicator. Well, I know where he lives, and his dog hangs out with my dog sometimes, so he's gonna have to he's gonna have to respond sooner or later. But uh, I th- I think, and if I remember correctly, I believe Illinois is another one of these teams that historically flounders in the Big Ten tournament. So that stretches games that you talked about at the end of the schedule. There, we've got these seven games where honestly, the trip to Ohio State is the only one thinking yep. about them now on paper that they shouldn't be favored in. I mean, if if they go something like six and one in there, but because they've struggled earlier, they still need a couple wins in the Big Ten tournament, they may not be able to count on that. So it's entirely possible that you you don't want to leave that up to chance and that a 7-0 run to end the season is going to be necessary to push Illinois into the tournament. I think that's an entirely plausible scenario. If we were to talk a little bit more about projections, generally speaking, their best case scenario, I guess, is that 
the culture Underwood is, is trying to build finally takes hold completely here. I mean, the roster is, I think, entirely his guys at this point, or maybe the seniors yep. are still. No, because I'm pretty sure Aaron Jordan was like the last holdover from Gross. Um, so with a more developed culture and the whole roster is either his guys or maybe a couple holdovers who have bought in, that they're basically, they have the Georgia Tech advantage, if you're the Georgia Tech football advantage under Paul Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they've got this unusual system that gives them just enough of an edge and just enough games that, you know, they pick off a couple of ranked teams to buff up the resume, cover a bit for the fact that their depth is still an issue in some spots and, you know, they get in foul trouble a lot. Probably not going to be a conference title contender just yet, even with a best case scenario. But their best case scenario is that that seven game stretch down the down the uh, down the tail end of the schedule doesn't matter because they are comfortably in the tournament field, you know, probably something like fifth, sixth, seventh in the conference. And they don't need to sweat the results in uh, the Big Ten tournament to land their first tourney bid in six years. Has it been that long? 2013, the last time Holy they made it. Holy shit. You know yeah. who's gone to the NCAA tournament in that time span? Northwestern. Northwestern has. <laughs> God, what a fucking world we live in that we're talking Ain't it though? Northwestern has been more recent than Illinois. Now, now Steve's really not going to return my calls if he wasn't before, um, <laughs> well, or if he was before. Well, and I mean to to rub the salt in that particular wound a little bit. I mean, there is also a scenario here where the defense overall, the juice is not worth the squeeze. Where yeah, they get more turnovers, but they still melt down in the half court so regularly, and they still wear this kind of shallow rotation down enough that it's just not worth the turnovers it produces. Um, and that they find themselves, they do find themselves on the bubble late in that conference season and drop a couple of those games that on paper, we think they ought to win. You know, I think this has to be a tournament team for this season to not be considered a failure. I mean, it, mm-hmm. you would call it a success if it is, but to look at it the other way, if it's not a tournament team, this season is definitely a failure, almost regardless of what happens or what causes them to miss it. Well, and I think it's, I mean, I don't want to say you'll know uh, coming out of the non-conference whether or not this season is going to be a success or a failure. But, I mean, there's got to be, you have to beat Miami at home, for one. Um, and you it might even have to be, you have to win Bragan rights um, in, in St. Louis. If you can come out with those two wins and, and perhaps steal one of, well, you, you have to be Grand Canyon probably. But, I mean, if they can walk out not five and eight in the non-conference, which is, I think, what they were at last year or something something along those lines, whatever the just abysmal non-conference record was last year, um, if, if they can walk out with a respectable maybe two losses, tops, three losses, then we'll say, yep, this is probably a tournament team and you just have to hold serve in the Big Ten. Um, but... If it's a repeat, if they drop a game in their in their bullshit tournament, you know, not actually a tournament to Hawaii at home or, you know, who knows, Hampton, the Pirates could be frisky this year or something. Or <laughs> Old Dominion is a, is a potentially tricky one. If we're talking again about an Illini team with four, five, six losses at the end of at the end of the non-conference, then then I think it's it's soon enough to just declare, look, it's it's not working. And this is a team that for, for whatever reason, whether it's coaching or whether it's execution, just Brad Underwood's system can't work in the in the Big Ten. So we're going to find out fast, I think, whether or not it's this high pressure run around, you know, with your pants on fire kind of thing is is actually a successful system, or maybe he adjusts on the fly and they can fall into more of a pack line defense and just kind of keep it in the keep it in the half court and really worry about forcing turnovers and bad shots closer to the basket. But um, 
I, I, I mean, I that's, like that's been the trend with the, the elite team. I mean, think about last year's national title game matchup. If you can, yep. you know, retroactively remove the bleach from your eyes as you were watching it, that's, that's the kind of that's the style that Texas Tech and Virginia both play. It's an equalizer from a talent standpoint. Uh, it's a lot. Le- it's less draining on your players than this kind of full court engagement that Underwood does. So, yeah, we this may be something of a of a litmus test year for this kind of system at the highest levels of basketball. Yeah, it it might, and I just it's it's one of those where you wonder: Are Illinois? You know, is the talent that Illinois is going to roll out there? Then can they? Can they hit shots? Can they hit free throws? I, I recall their um, yeah. their execution in the in the uh, um, the exhibition game against what, the Lewis Flyers. They, they were something like sixty five percent or whatever it was from from the free throw line. It it, it wasn't pretty, and so you, you wonder about those things. Then that's you know they had the size advantage, and so Cockburn and and Bosman's Verdonk and Bishanishvili looked good against that. But when the time comes and they're getting banged around in in Big Ten play, can they make the can they make the free throws and do the right things down the stretch that, uh, that make Illinois competitive? That's, you know, or, you know, put Illinois over the top. I don't have that answer. And it's, you know, I think that's really one of those best case, worst case things is going to come down to how they execute in those little moments and how they handle those uh, kind of those 50, 50 situations that really define a season, you know, whether it's a, a tight game late against Arizona or a, you know, a road game against Maryland where they find themselves on the, on the right foot. Um, it does it can Brad Underwood, you know, coach them up and coach them into those positions where they, where they really can be successful and execute. Um, this is, this is, I think a season that's a referendum ultimately on whether, whether he'll have, you know, another three, four or five years or whether he has maybe one more year to go in, in uh, champagne. Yep. And so you, you mentioned a couple times their talent and that's a good word, a good key segue word to transfer <laughs> to our final team of the morning, which is the Maryland Terrapins. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, boy, it, it, if you want to boil this program down to a word, it would be potential, would it not? Oh. Because there is not a more talented roster in the Big Ten. Not Michigan State, not Indiana, not nobody. Um, last year, <clears throat> they had this enormously talented freshman class that showed more than some flashes of living up to that hype. And, you know, despite being one of the youngest teams in the country, like I think one of the 10, five or 10 youngest teams in the country, uh, fifth place finish in the conference in a, a strong conference. And then their unfortunate thing was they ran into one of the few teams in the country in the right. tournament that could out athlete them in LSU, or it's just every single one of their guys is like six, 10, like Olympic athletes. And so it was, it was, you know, the one, one of the worst matchups they possibly could have had. It is fair to say that they will miss Bruno Fernando. The guy was incredible, oh. but boy, do they have a lot of talent coming back from last year and another incredible recruiting class to back up that, that group. Um, they also shuffled their assistant coaching staff. They picked up, I, I forget if it was Saudi Washington or who they got from 
Michigan. I know Yaklich went to Texas, but the other guy. So one assistant stayed at Michigan. Another guy came to Maryland. And then Yaklich was the guy you would have wanted, honestly, because he was the one who everyone credited for Michigan's defensive renaissance the last few years. But in any case, Maryland picked up some changes to the coaching staff that by our Terrapin friends accounts have gone spectacularly this year. Um, And boy, do they have a lot to work with. Uh, It can be there can be risk in relying so much on younger players, but they also do still have Anthony Cowan and it's fair to say that he had a really disappointing junior year last season, but if he straightens things out at all, uh, there's so much talent here. Um, five more guys coming in in the freshman class, and they've got some size. Uh, we usually think about Purdue as being the, you know, the archetype yeah. for all your guys <laughs> are giant, and they still are. Don't get me wrong on that, but uh, boy, Maryland, I mean... Not only do you still have uh, Jalen Smith from last year, who I think is probably the name everyone knows most nationally. He's the guy everyone projects as the lottery pick. Uh, and he's fantastically skilled. But looking at this incoming class, they've got a seven foot three guy in Troll Marial, um, six foot nine twins, the Mitchell brothers, and then a yeah. couple of six foot six wings coming in. So the rankings it's- are somewhat bearish on them. Makai um, Mitchell is the only top 100 prospect they've got, but. This this group will cover, for example, I mean, the problem last year with Jalen Smith was that he was just so damn skinny uh, that he, if he had to play in the post, it didn't go well. But even if he doesn't pick up physicality this season, you know, if he wants to stay leaner with his eye towards the NBA, they've got bodies that can bang up front now. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's almost like they, they looked at her church and looked at what beat them in that LSU and decided, OK, well, we're going to join them. Then we're going to add a whole bunch of these 610 or 68 or, you know, but really it's 610. It's, and we're just going to go all in on that that kind of we're just going to have a whole bunch of wing and tall dudes. And and around that will be um, will be Anthony Cowan Jr. and Eric Ayala, you know, running around and, and jacking up threes and scoring. But we're also going to don't even try to come into our paint because we're going to just we're going to swat the hell out of you if you come, if you come near it. it's it's on paper terrifying. I don't I don't want to do have anything to do with Maryland as a general rule in life, but also in basketball. <laughs> I, I it just it, it really is something where. Can now can Turgeon just get the fuck out of his own way for one season? If you are a Maryland fan, can your coach just pull back a little bit from micromanaging or from just just turning doing so, so, so much less with so much more than almost every other team in the Big Ten? It's can you can you not just constantly fuck up your substitutions? Can you not be totally unprepared for zone? Um, can you maybe throw a little zone yourself with this collection of trees you've got playing? You know, I mean, we'll see. It's, and again, offseason reports from our Maryland contributors tell us that they've made some really interesting uh, progress this season. But man, from a roster standpoint, this is still such a fascinating group because Cohen and Daryl Morsell, a junior, are the only two upperclassmen who are in the playing rotation. So even though they've got this substantial carryover from last season they are still such a young team I mean, you've got 10 underclassmen on this team and it's fair to say again that this you know the sophomore class certainly has a lot more experience than most sophomores do because so many of them played so much last year but it's still a really young team and we'll we'll get into predictions in a second before we do that let's talk about the schedule um 
some interesting matchups in the this, non-con. Nothing this that is a be. bullshit non-conference. Yeah, That's it is. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you got shit. good old Ed Cooley's Rhode Island. Um, hey, look, he was good enough to be courted by Michigan, wasn't he? Or was he just the guy they pretended to interview while they were finalizing Juwan Howard's contract? Um, they have their matchup with Greg Campy's Oakland squad, who I really wish Michigan State would stop playing because they're going to beat us one of these years. Um, and they're going to do it in a great sweater, too. That's the best part. Yeah, that's I. whenever it does happen, I won't even be mad about it because is a lot of no better than to play him every year. But look, he's friends with Campy, whatever. Um, <laughs> so Maryland also has their ESPN invitational matchup with Temple. That could be an interesting, you know, East Coast, Boswash corridor matchup. Um, they may see Texas A&M after that. Um, matchups also with Harvard, with Marquette. Um, all could be I mean, decent. They take that tournament to holds, Hall, that's something. Yeah, and if that tournament holds, I mean, it'll be... If seeds hold in that tournament, you're going to get Temple, Texas A&M, and Marquette. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, that's fine. And and Maryland should beat all three of those teams. I, I just. And then the trip. And then the trip to Seton Hall. Lose one. There's yeah. the trip to Seton Hall. And that's, you get Notre Dame at home in the challenge. And that's, that's about it. I just, it, it really feels like it's, it's a, a non-conference that, you know, DJ or Brian or whomever will be all up in arms when they look sluggish against Oakland in the, in the first, you know, in the third game of the year, and they they shoot twenty two percent from deep, and so, and so you're not give, you're not giving any credit at all to the ghost Carmody's of Holy Cross in that opener on Tuesday. You know what, Holy Cross can quite frankly, and you can go on the record with this and tweet this right at the <laughs> Holy Cross basketball account. They can eat a full and supersized bag of dicks for what I am going to decide is running Bill Carmody out of town. Uh, you had you don't know what you what you have gotten rid of Holy Cross until it's gone, and I don't care who this hot shot new coach is in uh, uh, this hot shot new coach in Worcester is Brett Nelson or whatever his name is. Uh, no, Holy Cross, you, you fucked up, and you will enjoy the bottom of the Patriot League, which I guess you're already comfortable with because that's where Bill Carmody had you. But never mind. Uh, you had a coach <laughs> who took you to the NCAA tournament, and you threw it away. You just threw it away, and I hope Maryland beats you by fifty points. A good chance that that's going to be the result of that game. Yeah. So yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we we've gone over the uh, the non-con. They do have a couple of decentish tests in the first two home against Illinois and at Penn State. Um, single plays in the Big Ten are Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin, Purdue, Indiana, and Minnesota. So single plays with Michigan, Wisconsin, and Purdue. That's pretty favorable. Uh, and again, this is a Maryland team that pretty much seems to be the consensus silver medalist in the conference. Yeah. Um, and look, I'm not one to take any shine off of MSU basketball because goddamn, do I need something to feel good about with my, <laughs> with my school right now? But I don't think it's going to be as easy for Michigan state as anyone thinks. I mean, the best case scenario here is Maryland blows right through and goes to the top of the conference, riding this incredible talent base that they have here. So I wrote when I was prepping for this, just kind of looking at the at the double plays as well. Then and the double plays on the uh, the double plays for Maryland and conference are Iowa four of the seven are Iowa, Rutgers, Nebraska, and Northwestern. Yeah, they're going to pile up some wins. And and I wrote here it's if these are the words that I written in prep. If Maryland doesn't win the conference or come close to it, fire Turgeon's ass. That's yeah. They I think they've got to as it gets. They've got to finish second. And look at the way it's lined up, too. And they they have a pretty backloaded schedule. So mm-hmm. 
from a standings perspective, they could put a lot of pressure on the Michigan States, the Ohio States of the world, because here, so in their first, you know, through Valentine's Day in the conference, their toughest matchups will be home against Ohio State and home against Purdue. Those yep. are the only two ranked teams they play so far. They have a trip to Wisconsin in there, um, you know, the, a trip to Illinois that could be difficult. But, boy, it, the schedule really doesn't toughen up for them in conference until the middle of February. And it, it gets tough down the stretch. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they have a stretch where they go to MSU, host Northwestern, go to Ohio State, go to Minnesota, and then host MSU on the comeback. And that's all in a two-week period. So mm-hmm. that's going to be the stretch, obviously, that determines their fate because – I mean, it seems like a lot of people are taking for granted, oh, MSU is going to run away at the conference. Again, I don't buy that because a lot of the time when the expectations are highest is when MSU stomps its own dick with the sharpest golf cleats they have. You're just hoping. We'll see how that goes. But that certainly is going to be the key stretch for Maryland, not only because of the two Michigan State matchups, but because you've got Ohio State dropped in the middle of that as well. Mm -hmm. So. If they want to be at the top of the conference, that they're going to need to be playing their best ball in February. Um, we'll see if that's the case for Maryland this year. So, again, it, I mentioned you. Yeah, I, I think their best case scenario is they win the conference. They make it to the second week of the tournament. They finally justify all their patience with Turgeon and, you know, vindicate the talent they have, that they play as good as they should be. And I think part of what will determine that is, is can they find um, – you know, can they find that kind of second or third scorer who's going to um, who's going to take some of the load off Anthony Cowan? I mean, you talked about somebody who's got to get right for this year. Um, you know, it's just you look at Cowan's kind of usage and his numbers have just been been playing going up in terms of what Maryland's been asking him to do. I mean, his his field goals, I think, per 40, they they jumped a little bit from from 16, 17 to 17, 18. But last year, I mean, he was taking I think it was almost 15 15 field goals per 40 and and his numbers have just been dropping consistently in terms of the percentage that he's making both from the field and from deep can you just take a, find a find a third scorer so after Jalen you know after Jalen Smith as well um, can Maryland find that third scorer perhaps on the outside if it's Eric Ayala or maybe it's inside and Shoal Marial or or one of the Mitchells or or somebody or Heck, I think Aaron Wiggins is one who we should we should be looking at. Can yeah, they can have they have some sc- they have some gunner options. They what they really need. It, it felt last year like Cowan was really missing having Kevin Herter to run with on the wing, and absolutely you know, Herter was a surprise revelation for the Hawks last year in the NBA. So clearly, him being gone, there was going to be a hole to fill. But if they can get if they can get what whether it's Ayala playing a little bit of a two point guard situation, or if it's mm-hmm. Wiggins, who was a big-time gunner last season, they'll need more. They'll need him to maintain his efficiency in a bigger role. Or if it's a guy like Sorrell Smith, who had, again, some flashes last year where he was incredible, but he disappeared for long stretches as well. If they get more consistency out of one of those guys at the two spot, I think that really helps because if you have a shooter or a slasher to complement Cohen on the wing with what Jalen Smith is going to do in the front court, baby, then you've got Stu going. So... We'll see if they can get to that. Um, you know, as as expectant as Maryland fans are this year, though, there is a worst case scenario that's easy to see here, which is that Turgeon's in-game management continues to hold them back. You know, maybe there are, he continues to use sub patterns in ways that nobody understands. <laughs> um, maybe they still look a bit disjointed. Maybe the fact that they've got such still a young team, maybe there's a leadership deficit at 
critical points and Mm -hmm. in difficult road environments, they don't hold up to it well. Um, We'll see about that. I mean, if they slip below the double byline in the conference this year, that is a big problem. That is a that is a failure of a season. Um, and I guess I'm not sure, and this is where it would have been helpful to get an actual Maryland fan in here. I'm not sure what their expectations are, like what the more important thing is for them. And, it, you know, at the risk of some arrogance, as an MSU fan, the Big Ten season is great and all, but I still judge my team. Yeah, all the at, the risk, at the risk of some <laughs> arrogance as an MSU fan. Just have that be the lead into this podcast. At the risk of some arrogance as a, as, as a Michigan State fan. How you know, dare you, sir? was trying to find an appropriate name for this. Maybe I'll just go back and change the ones we've already posted and <laughs> transition it over to that as a Michigan State fan. Uh, but, I, well, seriously, though, I tend to judge my team more on how they perform in the tournament. Right. I don't know if that's the mindset. I mean, I assume Maryland fans probably have a similar mindset, even though there hasn't been as much success there lately. Um, so I wonder if, you know, say they go to the Elite Eight or something. If they do that, despite finishing like fourth or fifth in the conference, is that okay? Does that, you know, is, I'm not sure what combination of regular and postseason success they insist on for this to be a successful season. But well, um, and I think you noted it as well with uh, with last year. I mean, running into LSU is just kind of a, a fluky or just a a bad luck kind of. It um, was, although if they, had won, if they had won that game, they would have seen MSU in the next round. So um, right. But on the whole, I think on the whole, I think it's it's for Maryland. It's it's that the Big Ten schedule has to set up that that run in March. That you know you're getting a double buy, yeah, but you're also getting on to maybe a three line in the NCAA tournament, and and that you know a two or a three line where you're getting just you should blow away a six or a seven seed in the uh, to make it into the Sweet Sixteen. I think it has to be at some point that that both of these results have to happen, and. and this is a year looking at the schedule and this non-conference that Turge has to make that happen. And, uh, you know, you talk about worst case scenarios, um, you know, ultimately I think the really the worst case scenario that I don't think is possible, but <clears throat> who knows is that Turgeon finds a way to get like a sixth or a seventh year of eligibility for Yvonne Bender and works him back. <laughs> and, find, and just find ways to insert him back into the, like, all right, Jalen Smith's got, he's gone seven for 10 from the field in the first half. Let's give him a nice long seven minute break and get Bender some run here. <laughs> I can, got a, I can, got a 10th year of eligibility for the Bosnian now. Yeah, exactly. I think I hear the sound of an echoing scream from DJ, although I think he's at Maryland's football game right now. So he might've just uh, jumped off the back of bird stair, not bird stadium, excuse me, <laughs> capital one field. Yeah. He might've just jumped off the back of it. God knows that's a steep ass drop from that, uh, from that mountain of a stadium. <laughs> So we, you know, we've left everyone, even the cat, even Maryland, who probably didn't realize they were going to be part of an Illinois based podcast here. But we've left everyone with lots of happy things to think about, you know, because it's almost time for football kickoff. So can I get a go cats? Oh, you can get a go cats any day of the week. They're going to beat Indiana tonight. And this podcast will age horribly in about three days when we inevitably post it. So everyone, everyone can send their comments to hashtag. I don't care. Hashtag I don't care. And for the Maryland fans as well, just a reminder that when Turgeon does disappoint you, it too, for you, is almost women's lacrosse season. Your source for big and talk. It's off tackle. Empire.